You're listening to a CNA podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Work It. I'm Adrian. Hi, I'm Crispina. Okay, so recently I was chatting with my niece who works at a leading tech company in London. And she tells me actually there everyone is back at work four days a week. But there's a rumour that the management is going to reinstate it to five days. And she tells me I'm so devastated because she really even enjoys that one day off. So I can't imagine how working parents will, will cope with this, right? I really have friends who are completely devastated because they have <laughs> gone back to full five days of work week. I can't imagine the amount of commuting they have to put up with right now. And yes, this has been a hot topic for a while now. Mm-hmm. We've seen big tech companies like Google, Meta and Zoom rolling back flexible and remote work policies, leading yep. to lots of employee pushback. Yeah, I personally work from home three days a week, sometimes two. And like so many people, I've really gotten used to this flexibility, right? I get deep writing and planning work done when I'm home, where there's no distraction. I I get to swim before I start work, which is so wonderful for me. In fact, sometimes I feel I'm less productive in the office, Adrian, because my colleagues come, like I go chatting with them, they come chatting with me. And then before you know it, it's five o'clock. I know how your colleagues feel when my wife also also happens to be working from home with me around. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> many employers disagree with this constant work from home situation. They say culture, collaboration and even productivity may be affected, which of course is the perfect storm for a clash. Employees yep. are threatening to quit mm. and bosses are enforcing strict in-office requirements tracking badges and even terminating people for non-compliance. That's crazy. It seems to become quite polarised. So I feel like it can see a lot of unhappiness. And but, but more importantly, for me, it's like a setback for people with heavy caregiving responsibilities. Absolutely. But there must be a way for leaders and staff to have productive conversations and shape collaborative hybrid policies. After yep. all, both sides have valid concerns that should be heard. Okay, so to help us understand all this on how to bridge this divide and foster healthy hybrid models, we have a great guest today. He's Professor Mark Mortensen from INSEAD. He's an expert on organisational toxicity and remote collaboration. Professor Mortensen, thank you so much for joining us from Dubai. Thank you so much for having me. And I've got to say, just listening to both of you talking about some of the key challenges You're spot on. And what you're raising are Mm. a number of things. We know that people care. And one of the earliest things, pieces of research around how you design work effectively is giving people autonomy, giving people some control over what they do and how they do it. So where they do it and being able to work from home is has real value for people. It actually makes them feel more engaged with the work they're doing. It has some really nice boosts on productivity. But the one thing I want to flag and picking up on something, Adrian, that you said, you're talking about productivity. We have to also be careful to think about how we define productivity because productivity Mm. is a sort of a blanket term. Mm. People toss around all the time. Oh, we're more productive, less productive. I have no doubt, Crispina, that you do get more stuff done when you have that concentrated working time at home. (laughs) But that's assuming that's the thing that matters most or the only thing. And one of the things we have to think Mm. about is if part of the value that you're bringing is also the witty banter with Adrian, and if that has to be done over a physical thing in the office that you're looking at, Mm. if it's about the random conversations, the contributions to the culture Mm. that then lead to productivity, that's where we start to see some, it's not as clear that, hey, work from home is just a a uniform benefit. Mm. Everything comes with trade-offs. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, Prof, before we dive further, I'd like to start with your own work habits. Do you go in every day? Do you prefer to work from home or do you prefer a hybrid system? And after going through all these different models, which one do you think work best for you? I freely admit I'm a hybrid guy and I always actually have been. So I, I'm the weird guy who's been studying remote and hybrid for about the last 20 years. So 20 way before COVID years? made it trend. Yeah, you can see the amount of white in my beard and everything. I'm an old guy. And I've been working remote. I've been working hybrid for a long time. And for me, it works. It's a good balance. Mm. But one of the things I've seen, and I've seen this for myself as well, is with the the, the COVID push and the post-COVID push, I did gravitate to working more and more from home. Mm. That had some really nice benefits. I got to spend a lot more time with my family. I think they like me, so I think it was a good thing for them <laughs> as well. But at the same time, I did start to notice that I felt less connected to my peers. And mm. I've had oh, this conversation with yep. many of my colleagues as well. We're academics. A lot of our work can be done very independently. I sit and I work on a paper. I'm writing. I'm doing statistical analyses. I'm, I'm working in the field. All these things can be done remote from my colleagues. But I'm starting to see in my own experience that is creating a more of a gap. It's creating a, a dissociation from the organization. I've seen it in a lot of organizations. I see it at INSEAD as well. We have to actually right. take some steps to try to counter that. Yeah. It just seems to me, Prof, some of the companies that are insisting that people come back, I don't know, it feels like a very top-down approach. I'm not sure if that's fair, but is there some kind of a middle way, you know, to resolve this push and pull between what workers want and what companies prioritize? And, and you're absolutely right. In fact, when I'm in the office, I get so many great ideas from people who come and talk to me. Yep. I even get guests suggested to me and they share a number and then done. Yep. I, I think that's super great, right? That will never happen if she and I were in different homes. But yeah, but it's this push and pull, right? It's like, how do you come to a compromise? Totally. I, I can give you a very concrete example. Just yesterday, I was, I was running a program here in Dubai and during the coffee break, the literal coffee break, we popped out of the room and then we started having a conversation. We had a, a fantastic, really interesting, really important conversation around AI and its role and how it was changing things. Mm. And that conversation, think about what happens in a Zoom meeting. When you finish, you turn it off and that's it. Or even when you say, hey, everybody, bio break, coffee break, what do you do? You go into the other room, but you go into the room by yourself. Maybe the cat's there, but there's no one to talk to. And you don't have these random interactions. Though Those things don't happen. Crispine, I want to highlight something you said, which I think is really important. You talked about it being top down. Yep. It doesn't have to be. And so I agree with you completely. And one of the things that I've been arguing and, and, and been writing about is the need for employers and employees to have a conversation. And this has to be something that is jointly owned, because as, yeah. as both of you highlighted in the intro, look, the power isn't in only one place. Mm. Employers, let's be honest, employers have a certain amount of power. They control salaries. They control hiring and firing. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is a lot of power. But employees also have power. They can leave. And so neither side has all the power. So I completely agree. A top-down mandated thou shalt and it must be this way mm -hmm. without acknowledging why, yep. having mm -hmm. the conversation and creating buy-in, I'm not going to say it's doomed to failure. It's going to be, but it's going to have a lot of collateral damage. And so one of the things I really think that we need to push is for employers and employees to really come to the table and say, look, Here's why I want what I'm looking for. I have caregiving responsibilities. I have these obligations, these needs. I feel I'm more productive. And on the other side, here's what we need from you in the office. We need you around us. 
part of the culture. We need you around to help mentor the junior people. Yeah. We need, both sides have needs. We need to get those on the table. We need to be explicit about what they are and then work to say, okay, so what's the middle ground? Yep. It's not going to be fully back in the office. I would argue it's not going to be fully remote. Mm-hmm. We can find something that's going to do 80%, 80-20 rule. We're going to get the, the majority of the value. And if we get 80% and 80% on both sides, it's 160%. Yep. And across all the different research and companies that you've looked at, are there any specific hybrid models that you observe work better for most companies? I don't understand companies are in different shape and sizes, but... The thing is, over the past two years of COVID, it seems like there isn't a single company that managed to crack something that worked for them. Are there some best practices that people are just missing out on? Here I take from The Economist, even though I'm an org behavior kind of guy, The Economist would always argue that anything that is seen as valuable will quickly get disseminated. Everyone will start picking up on it. The fact that nobody's figured out, nobody's cracked it, mm. as you said, nobody's figured out the magic sauce is because there isn't one. There, there can't be a single thing that, that works. In terms of best practice, look, I do think, again, as I was sort of saying, 80-20 rule, there are some basic benefits that you can get. Just having flexibility, flexibility itself is worth something. And so I think one of the things that employers have to recognize, those who are saying everyone back in the office, et cetera, that's the easy answer. Mm -hmm. I would argue that you can get a lot of benefit by just giving some flexibility. Mm. That said, I would argue the exact reverse or same type of argument to employees to say, look, Those who are saying, I have to be able to work remote all the time, whatever, come on. You you also, you're working for an organization. You are, you have a job to contribute something. And I think we do need to find what is that balance in between that that we can really drive that forward and and have that conversation. Yeah. And I also think that you can't just quit, right? I mean, from an employee point of view, right? Just because your boss says, okay, I want everybody to come back four times a week. Unless you are in an industry where your skills are super valued and you can move, quitting is a big decision. So it's not so straightforward. Can people go to HR, for example, and say, hey, look, I'm a caregiver. Mm -hmm. So I know the company wants me to come back four times a week, but can I do three instead? Is there some room for this sort of conversation? Because I feel like it's not a one-size-fits-all. Correct. There should be. Look, in my opinion, there, there absolutely should be room for that conversation. Now, is there? That that depends on the organization. That depends on the tenor of HR and how HR views it. And, mm. and one of the things that we should also flag is I know here you're focusing on the Singaporean audience. For anybody yep. who's working in a global environment with people in different parts of the world, there's some big differences. There are differences in preference levels of, of working mm. from home. There are differences in the role of HR and all these sorts of things. I, yeah. I do want to highlight yeah. one thing, though, also that you said. It's not simple. And let me just give you one thing for your listeners to think about is a simple example. Actually, in the organization I was just speaking with yesterday, they had a very, very logical policy. They said, okay, we have one day a week, Fridays, everybody gets to work remote and we give everybody a day of choice. They have one day that they can Mm. choose. Now, that's a very flexible, they're giving, everybody gets two days that they get to have working remote. And that that seems like a pretty reasonable thing. The three, two split Mm -hmm. seems to be what most end up sort of falling on as kind of a default. Right. Here's where things get tricky. Imagine you've got a team and within that team, you've got about people, people don't choose their, their off days at random. So you're mm-hmm. immediately going to start seeing maybe it's the people who have school. In in France, most schools don't have a day off on Wednesday. So people may gravitate towards Wednesday is going to be the day that I'll work from home. Mm-hmm. So imagine you've got a team that has two sort of sets of reasons. That means that the team's going to kind of split. Half the team, let's say, is 
Thursdays is my additional work from home day. Half the team, let's say, says, you know, it's Tuesdays is my additional work from home day. But when you put that team together with the Friday as a work from home, you then realize that it's actually three days that those two team halves don't overlap. Yeah. Nobody's mm. in the office together on Friday. Half the team is there on Thursday, but the other half isn't. Yep. The other half is there on Tuesday, but <laughs> the first half isn't. So now suddenly what seems, hey, look, we just have one day that we have mm. remote and then everybody gets a day of flex is actually three days that half of the team doesn't get to see face to face. So this is where the math gets complicated. Yeah. The, the combinatorics get, get a little bit tricky. Yeah, I totally agree. So I took a little tiny poll in the team and just asked them how unhappy they would be if they come back every day of the week, right? So it was no surprise that the parents in the team were the most unhappy, right? Because they've gotten used to a lifestyle. Look, I know people say, but we were all back every day of the week before COVID. How did we do that? I just feel that doesn't seem like a very strong argument. We don't go back to making five with two stones, right? We've already <laughs> we've already moved past that era where I was in that era where I was frantically rushing pillar to post, trying to make commute and pick up kids. And it's just yep. changed completely. Look, there's a balance. And what I think is tricky is I completely agree. I mean, there's no reason to say we did it that way before, so we should go back to that. Of course not. We hopefully, that's what learning is. Learning is figuring yeah. out how to do something better. So maybe yeah. we have some new steps forward. I do think that what's important for everybody to keep in mind is there's also, there's a temporal piece of this. And what I would frame as a contrast effect. Think about what happened when everybody was forced to go remote. COVID was a very unique situation, but immediately mm -hmm. post that, Everybody was still thinking about, oh, you remember what it was like when we all had to be in the office? This is so great. And there was a big push. Everybody wants to be at home because now I get to have whatever lattes I want. I can take that hot yoga class that I'm really into. I can I get to see my kids and all this stuff. Yeah. So everybody was really excited, but that's in part because it was very much in contrast to the way things were. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've seen in a number of organizations is now that people have gotten used to working from home, a little bit of the shine has worn off. You know, I, I hear more people mm. saying, I realized I do actually like my colleagues. I kind of miss that conversation. Maybe the social support that I get in the office, I, I get great social support from my family, but they don't know all those people in the office that I'm griping about. They don't know those experiences. So there are benefits and our perception of them is very much colored with what's recent in our mind. Right. So one of the things we also have to recognize, you're right. We don't want to just say we should all go back to the way things were because whatever used to be is right. No, but we also have to recognize that the things that we say, I can't do that. Well, that's in part because you're, you're thinking in contrast to what you were just experiencing. There are benefits to working from home, no question. The question that you need to ask is, are you thinking about what some of those downsides are? Mm. And this is where we see some things like people saying, I'm really loving working from home. But when you start asking them questions about their career path, do they feel like they're learning and growing at the same rate? Do they feel like their opportunities for advancement are continuing at the same way? Do they feel as connected? All of a sudden they say, well, actually, no, those actually have gone down. Right. So some of it is making sure that we're mindful and thinking about all those pieces of the puzzle. Are you looking for ways to make your money work harder? Tips on saving, investing or retiring early perhaps? Or advice on big-ticket decisions like buying a house or owning a car? I'm Andrea Hing, host of CNA's top personal finance podcast, Money Talks. And these are some of the things we find out for you. 
Each week, I get a guest to share personal stories and answer burning questions that help you make sense of the latest financial trends. Go check out the complete Money Talks playlist on the CNA app, Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts. So, Professor, one of the things that you written quite a fair bit is about how hybrid work policy can actually lead to toxic work environment, which is really interesting. And not all cases are uniform. Can you walk us through some examples of what you've seen that actually has caused a rise in all this tension now? One of the things I want to be clear about, hybrid work doesn't by definition mean toxicity. So for those people who say, look, I love working hybrid or I love working remote and it's not toxic for me, that's totally fine. That This is not to argue that it has to be. But we know when it comes to toxicity, and we're talking about the core definitions of what it means for something to be toxic, and this is around intolerant and other factors, we know that hybrid work does affect, for example, the amount of information I have. I don't have as much visibility mm. on what you're doing on a day-to-day basis that gives me less opportunity to resolve some tensions. Some of the early work that I did you know, way before COVID looking at working remote When we are distant from other people, we tend to see the forest rather than the trees, if you want to think Mm. of it that way. It's called construal level. But we think of people in much more broad conceptual terms. That can lead to more Mm. bias. That can lead to a number of these negative impacts. So it's it's not to say that, look, this is going to drive everyone to be toxic. But what it does mean is that we have to be cognizant of the fact that there are a number of attributes of working remote that contribute to the things that that lead to toxicity. And and as a result, it increases your odds. And so you need to be more mindful of it. The other thing to keep in mind is hybrid working fundamentally leads to imbalance. And what I mean by that is when you have some people who are in the office and some people who are not on any given day, much as we like to say we're being super objective, we're paying attention to only the output that they're producing, we're humans and humans are social creatures. Mm. I notice I'm paying attention. I notice when Adrian is there. I see what he's doing. I see what Crispin is doing. That actually matters. And that does affect our interactions, our ability to evaluate all these factors. So when we're talking about working hybrid, it's not a level playing field. Mm. And again, coming back to some of the things I was mentioning before, those imbalances tend not to be randomly and uniformly distributed. We're going to have people gravitating towards, well, I'm a Monday worker, I'm a Thursdayer, I'm a this. Mm. Those sorts of things are going to mean that you have consistent imbalances. And that's when you start getting into potential areas of toxicity. If everybody was working Mm. one day remote and it was completely random and there was no sort of consistency, that wouldn't be a problem. But it's when it happens over and over and over, it starts training Mm. our brains in ways that may not be the right direction. I have a friend who is a manager of a team of five and he will always tell me, oh, I'm so busy working from home. I work from nine o'clock to nine o'clock. I don't get a single minute of rest. And when I ask him, what do you think your team members are doing then? Oh, they must be watching Netflix the whole day, not doing any work. (laughs) So without the ability to observe other people, you do tend to get the kind of impression that you are doing everything and other people are not. Here's the reality. That happens face-to-face as well, right? There's a fundamental question about trust. And this also varies from organization to organization. How much are you trusting that people are doing real work? Even if you're in the office, if people can't see your screen, I mean, you could be playing Candy Crush. You could be binge-watching Netflix. You could be doing all sorts of things. It's just that in the office, we at least feel, ah, but I can probably, I can lean over and see what Adrian's Mm. doing. And I can tell when he, I can see the reflection off his glasses when I see that the TV show's (laughs) whipping by. I can see these sorts of things. So the challenge is when we're remote, 
we all of a sudden are cognizant of the data that we don't have. And we say, mm. oh, but I, I don't know what they're doing. Unfortunately, yeah. we tend to have a, a, an attribution where we then assume, ah, I bet they're up to something. They're doing something. And this, Heidi Gardner and I wrote a piece on how work from home was eroding trust. And we talked about the fact that trust is fundamentally built on predictability, right? Mm. You know mm. what to yep. expect from people. Yep. When you're not there face to face, you have less data to establish the trust. You have less data to keep reinforcing it. And then keep in mind that when you're working hybrid, you're working through technology, like we're experiencing now. When my internet yeah. gets spotty and I start cutting out, we're not that good at correctly attributing that and saying, oh, but that's not Mark's fault. That's his internet. You still mm. get annoyed at the fact that Mark isn't here because that <laughs> stupid internet of his. And as a result, there's a spillover effect. And all these yep. things together lead to this erosion of trust. And that's part of the problem mm. that we're facing. Yeah, that's so interesting and so relevant and important. When we were recording from home, it was always that. My internet was so bad and everybody just thought that I was, what's the point? But yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. So with what you have observed and also the past years of research and what's going on right now, do you think there will come a day when we all have to go back to office for all five days? Or is hybrid something that will be here to stay? Look, if, for me, the logic is there will be some hybrid going forward. I've been doing hybrid and I've been studying hybrid for 20 years. It's not like it was new with COVID. Mm. It's just that it was more reduced to a, a portion of the population. There was there were the diehards who sat in coffee shops and a bunch of other people who went in and said, what's wrong with them? Don't they have a real job? Why are they here? <laughs> yeah. And now suddenly it mm. became much more widespread. Mm. So what we saw was an acceleration of existing trend. Look, we've learned certain things can be done remote. Faculty, professors, were the classic example. The number of my colleagues, myself included, who went into COVID and when we were told, look, you're going to have to do your classes remote, we said, no, 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 that won't work. Mm. You can't bottle the magic that is me, me in the classroom. It's a special thing. And then we had to and we learned that actually it worked and there, there are ways that we could make it work. I can't say there, there are going to be companies that say everyone back full time, that's it. That's their prerogative. And this is going to also become a labor market differentiator. Mm -hmm. The more power you have in the labor market to say, I mandate that we work this way. If you're one of those people, one of those organizations that has a line of people at the door, you can kind of say what you want and you know yeah. you're still going to have people up to whatever point is the threshold. And so long-winded way of saying, Adrian, I think in general, hybrid is going to be here to stay at a level higher than it was pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. mm. There are going to be exceptions in both directions. There are going to be some companies that stay fully remote all the time. There are going to be some companies that stay fully in the office all the time. And mm -hmm. the majority are going to be somewhere in the middle. And I think that the labor market is going to be how we shake this out. And people are going to have to make a decision about how they want to work and what's the right fit for them. Mm. Right. What I took away was actually two things. One, I think we do need to compromise. It's no longer a case where I can just put my foot down and ask for whatever I want. You're right. The labor market decides that and your skill sets decide that as well. The other thing I thought was interesting that I never thought about was if I say I'm productive, what does that actually mean? I think I'm productive, but maybe my boss doesn't think I'm productive. So that's an interesting thing to, to take away for me. Adrian, what about you? Yeah, I think what Professor mentioned also got me thinking. The lack of visibility really made people think in a very different manner. By not having that 
regular updates to your peers, to your managers about what you have done on a regular basis, people may just start imagining things. And the imagination would normally skew towards, oh, he or she must be watching Netflix the whole day and not doing anything. Ultimately, neither sites really hold all the answers here. So professor's advice on taking a collaborative approach here is really invaluable. So thank you so much, Professor, for sharing your expertise today. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you so much to our listeners and the CNA podcast team that make this happen each week. We'll be back next week. And here's a quote for you to think about. This came from one of my favorite podcasters, Tim Ferriss. When you give people the freedom to produce great work on their own terms, they will knock your socks off. So employers, if you want great work, consider what may work best for your employees. Ultimately, it's the results that drive revenue, not time spent in the office. 